CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. Options Action is brought to you by TD Ameritrade, where you gain access to research tools to help you sharpen your trading strategies. Welcome to Friday and Options Action Live from the NASDAQ market side in Times Square. On the big show tonight, revealing tricks around Disney's magic, spying on Palantir, and lessons to navigate what could be the most fraught time to short stocks. With us always tonight, uh, Carter Worth, Mike Coe, plus a special bonus appearance by Guy Adami. Let's get right to it. Disney slated to report results next week with promising COVID news and travel restrictions easing. Could the stock be on the verge of getting its magic back? Carter Worth takes us on a journey into imagination. Carter, what do you see? You bet. Well, I mean, it really does need to get its magic back and a laggard uh, by every measure, whether it's the S&P or other sort of travel related, uh, cruise related, uh, resort related stocks. Let's look at a couple statistics and then a couple charts. First slide. So what you see here is year to date performance, things like Expedia up 37 percent or Hilton. Right. American Airlines or Royal Caribbean all up, you know, 20, 30 plus percent. Look at another slide, just more of the same. Look at Marriott, second slide. Look at Hyatt, look at Bookings, and then Disney, down three. So it does need to get its magic back. Earnings next week on Wednesday, and the thought is that it's setting up for something uh, that can be quite good. So the first chart here of the charts is a two panel, and what we're looking at now is Disney on the top, and on the bottom we're looking at relative performance to the peer group, right, which is uh, hospitality, hotel, cruise um, uh, as a sector. And Disney is underperformed for the better part of seven, 10 months. And the thinking is that we're going to get a bounce. And so uh, stock closed today at 175. And the bet is that we're going to get about 185 on an earnings beat. All right. So, Mike, what's the trade off of that? Yeah, I mean, Disney's an interesting case, of course. So we have a situation here where, I mean, this company has obviously gone all in on streaming, and that has worked out very well. And there's a couple benefits to that, obviously, a good business, and they're executing really well. The other nice benefit, just from the perspective of a shareholder or an investor, is that that is a business that will typically trade at a higher multiple than some of Disney's historical businesses. So you put those things together, and that's obviously very attractive. We're actually approaching, I think, the second anniversary, whatever, of Disney uh, Plus's release. So I think all of that is definitely a positive. One thing I would also point out, though, two things. Going into earnings, typically, you're going to see elevated options premiums. And the other thing I would quickly point out, too, is that Disney is not particularly cheap. If we go back a couple of years, this was a company that would typically trade somewhere in the neighborhood of 20 to- 22 times forward earnings on average. Obviously, we had a big hiccup in 2015 with that earnings res- result in the second half. But right now, we're actually trading around 30 times peak earnings. That was fiscal year 2018, about $10.5 billion. So on that basis, it's not particularly cheap. $370 billion enterprise value. I think the way to make the play here if you're betting that we are going to see a positive result, is to buy longer dated calls. I was looking at the February 180s when I was looking at that earlier today. Those would cost about $9. Of course, because 
options premiums are elevated going into earnings, I think what you want to then do is sell a nearer dated upside call against it. In a way, you're essentially looking at a kind of a buy right, I guess, with a downside protection. The November 190 calls, I could collect about a dollar and a quarter for those. That will help offset some of the volatility suck, the decay that you'll see coming out of earnings. And this is a way that you can get hedged upside exposure, offset some of that uh, decay, obviously playing for a bounce, but uh, mitigating the downside risk in case the results turn out to be less than hoped for. Guy, your thoughts on Disney and this prospect of a potential bounce? Well, given that it sold off from that 203 all-time high level, here we are at 175, as Carter mentioned. And look, I mean, it does set up well for a bounce. Absolutely. But what I'll tell you is, to Mike's point, stock is trading at 35 times next year's numbers. I mean, that's expensive for any stock, not least of which is Disney, given their historical multiple. So I could see it bouncing, and I think CB Dubs lays out a good case, and Mike gives you a good uh, risk-reward risk trade in the options. But if it gets up to that 185 level, if you're trading the stock, I think you take your money and run, Melms. All right. Let's shift gears here and uh, usual traders as well. Guy is here and Guy spies with his little eye, Palantir. Guy, what do you see in this one? Is that a squid game thing? Like, are you trying to get me whacked here, Mel? Is that the thing? Because I haven't seen the movie yet or the series yet. But my sense is you're trying to do nasty things. But I'll tell you what I like about Palantir. The fact that nobody's talking about, uh, they're in the crypto world, and a lot of people don't realize that, but crypto security is something that's going to start to leak out in terms of the Palantir story. And I think when the market and the street catches wind of that, it's going to be a whole new valuation. Now, people will say at 26 times sales, thereabouts, it's very expensive, and they are right. But in the earnings, a lot of people are expecting bad things. I think there's a lot of negativity in the name, and I think Palantir can actually surprise people to the upside. I think earnings on if I'm not mistaken, the ninth or so of November. How does the chart look, Carter? Well, we've got a chart here. It's, uh, this is a pair of twos, to be fair, which is to hmm. say bears and bulls are matched off. Uh, we can look at it on the screen. What we know is the IPO uh, stock opened at 10 in September uh, of a year and a half ago, and we hit a 45. That spike high on January 27th was one day before the spike high in GME the ultimate Memstop, GameStop. And it's basically been very unhappy ever since. We're down 50, 60% since then. And we're working into the apex of this formation, which is to say, you now make your bet, long or short. In this case, I think it's literally uh, wait for the news and go with it as it breaks out or breaks down from the formation. All right, so Mike, we go to you to figure out a trade given Carter's view. Pair of twos is not a particularly good thing as I understand it, according to Google. And uh, Guy likes this one. So what do you do? Yeah, I mean, how you play your hand depends on more than just the cards that uh, you happen to be holding. And I think when we're using options, obviously we can limit some of the downside risk. You know, we were talking about Disney's options premiums being slightly elevated going into earnings. They've got nothing on Palantir. To put things in perspective, the at-the-money calls that expire in January alone are nearly 10% of the current stock price when I was looking at those earlier today. So $26 stock, at-the-money option that expires in, uh, in basically less than three months is going to cost you $2.60. However, as you look at that wedge and you see the range that this stock is traded in, you can see why the options premiums would be as high as they are. We're looking at a range of between $10 and $45 right there. 
in about a year's time. This is a stock that can really move around. So I think what we want to do here is actually buy those January 26 calls, if you have a bullish view, as Guy does, and then sell some nearer-dated calls against it, similar to what we were doing in Disney. The the out-of-the-money December 31 calls, you collect about 65 cents for those when I was looking at it. That's a material portion of the extrinsic premium that you're paying for those January options. That's a way to help offset that decay. Obviously, you know, you could say to yourself, well, spending $1.80 in options premium on a $26 stock seems like quite a lot. But when you see how much this stock can move, you can recognize that actually that protection may well be worth it. Avid viewers will know that on Fast Money approximately 11 months ago or 10 months ago, Guy uh, put Palantir into his new acronym for the year, which would be the P in the hope trade. Um, So, Guy, this is a shorter term trade, which is great. But what's your longer term outlook for it beyond earnings? I think Palantir is really interesting. Obviously, very tied to the government, which I get. I mentioned crypto, but what I will say is once they have an offering for these mid-sized businesses, MSBs, uh, for you acronym people out there, thank you for helping me with that, Mel. I think they're going to get into a whole new revenue stream, and I think that offering's coming. I think that's what the street is waiting for, and I don't think people realize sort of the crypto um, maybe sort of tailwinds that are there that nobody's taking into consideration. So, look. I get it. It is expensive. And I know Carter brought up the fact that it hasn't traded particularly well since the height of the meme-ness. But I still like this company long term. All right. Still to come. It could be an unprecedented time to be shorting stock. So Professor Co. will give us his long view. And for everything Options Action, you can check out our website, optionsaction.cnbc.com. While you're there, sign up for our newsletter. Stay tuned. Saturday, CNBC is your ticket to the annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting. Watch live on air or stream all the action at CNBC.com. Warren Buffett meets with shareholders, plus their questions, his answers. Becky Quick and Mike Santoli with full coverage from Omaha. Then re-rack the energy with highlights Monday morning starting on Squawk Box. The annual Berkshire Hathaway meeting, live on air and online, starts 9.30 Eastern, Saturday, CNBC. Welcome back to Options Action. When it comes to shorting a stock, we could be in a period more perilous than any other in history. It's not to discourage you. On the contrary, Professor Coe simply wants you to participate safely. So, Professor, what's your advice? Yeah, so this is uh, definitely a very interesting time. We've seen uh, a number of short squeezes. Some of them, frankly, you know, I've seen short squeezes in the past. They've been executed by institutional traders. But the way the retail crowd has been doing it lately is pretty unprecedented in my professional experience, I have to say. We continue to see it in some of the meme stocks that obviously caught a lot of attention uh, about a year ago. And then in the beginning of this year, I'm talking obviously about stocks like GameStop, uh, stocks like AMC. And then earlier this week, I think a really remarkable situation in Avis, ticker symbol card. Now, an important point I would make is that you know both investing and speculating are you know decent ways to make money uh, and both serve important economic functions. Uh, investing obviously provides needed capital to growing businesses and speculation, especially on the short side, is a way for market participants to get involved in situations where securities don't appear to be properly valued. The issue of course is that when you're speculating, typically you're making a short-term bet on price movement. And when you do that, that 
will typically incorporate a lot more risk. To give you a really simple example, imagine that I was just talking about how the S&P was going to behave. If I told you what do we think the S&P is going to do in the next 20 minutes, it's a coin flip. What do we think it's going to do in the next 20 days? Similarly, it's, it's kind of a coin toss. But if you asked what do we think the S&P is going to look like 20 years from now, I think by show of hands, more than 9 out of 10 people would say it's going to be higher. And basically, that reflects the fact that over the long term, we have a general sense of what equities or other security prices might do. But over the short term, it is really just a bet. Now, the other issue I would say is that when you short stocks, you are taking unlimited risk. And when you use options, you can define that risk. And I think Avis sets one of the best examples we could have of how unlimited that risk can be. So if you were looking at the stock going into earnings on Monday, it was trading around $170 a share on Monday. And let's just say that you thought the stock was going to fall down to 150 bucks a share. You could have shorted 100 shares of stock. You would have been betting that you'd make somewhere in the neighborhood of 2000 if it fell to your price target of 150. What happened instead? Stock closed close to 300 today. That would be a loss of nearly $130 per share, $13,000 on your 100 share bet. What if instead you had executed an options trade and bought the at the money 170 puts that expired in December and sold the 150s against it? Now, in order to make $2,000 or maybe even a little bit more, you would have needed to have traded two of those. The 170s were trading about 1860. That's a per share price because every options contract represents 100 shares. The 150s 1080. Net net, if you'd bought two put spreads, you would have spent about $14.80 or $1,480 total, again, using that multiplier, and your maximum profit would have been $2,520. Now, believe it or not, as far out of the money as those put spreads are, they still have a little bit of value today just because volatility has completely exploded. There are other options trades you could have done to make a bearish bet as well. You could have, for example, sold some upside call spreads. We also looked at how those were priced on Monday. I was looking at the 180, 190, and that would have collected about $4.10 per contract. Had you sold five, you would have made the $2,000 you were targeting to make on the downside. Of course, you can face risk if it goes higher, and indeed it did, but you still would have limited your losses. And in this case, you would have, because that also still has some extrinsic premium to it, you would have lost about as much as you could have potentially made in that trade too. But it demonstrates that there is more than one way to speculate on a stock's direction. Using options, you can cap the amount of risk that you take. But when you short stocks naked, as they say, and I don't mean naked by not actually getting a locate on the share, but, but I mean not having some form of insurance on the upside, uh, that obviously can present really uncomfortable risks. And it's not a trade I typically recommend. Carter, what are your thoughts? And I'm curious um, specifically about whether technical analysis can actually apply very well to instances such as these. Well, so this is, is one in a million. And actually, I have the uncomfortable position of having made the case to clients that car was a little too steep uh, just before earnings. And of course, this thing went to 545 on the moment. The irony is it's Hertz did this too. These are highly indebted businesses. Hertz, of course, went bankrupt, one of the first victims of the pandemic. And just to consider that car, I mean, think about it, 10 years ago, its revenues were $8 billion, And this past year, they're $8 billion. But 10 years ago, they had $10 billion in debt. Now they have 17. These aren't great operating businesses. It, in fact, was indicated not 
up at all after earnings. And then one little conversation about electric cars and it took a life of its own, essentially going to 545. And the irony of this kind of thing, whether it's technical or not, or whether it's just fat or not, there are people all in a second who made great fortunes. And then there are people in the day, on the day in question, having hit 545, bought it at 500, thinking they were gonna make, and all of a sudden lost 50% of their money. All happening, it's so fascinating in just moments. Um, the word untradeable comes to mind. <laughs> and even from an options perspective, because that's what we're talking about. And I understand Mike is not saying that one should go out and put any of these trades on. Um, but Guy, I'm, I'm curious what you think, because I'm sure that there's a little, a little devil on your shoulder saying, you know, these are total shorts. There's nothing fundamental about these run-ups in the stock. And yet there's the, the logical side of you that says, you know what, I'm just not going to get in the way of this because these are trading on so, something other than logic, reason or anything else. So this is the opine segment of options action, mm, which I yes. happen to love. So, I, you know, people say that short sellers are un-American somehow. I hear that all the time. I would say quite the contrary. I think people that have the temerity and the rigor to do what's required to find short plays are really important, vital, I would say, to the market. Now, just uh, bear with me for a second. As you know, it's just out west in Utah. Uh, close by is Yellowstone. I bring that up because wolves were taken out of Yellowstone many years ago, and something really weird happened. The environment sort of got screwed up, right? The moose and the elk population grew. They were trampling trees that would not have been trampled. All kinds of weird things happened because it was out of whack. They brought the wolves back. Now everything's back in unison. The, the, the ecosystem is working. You take short sellers out of the market and the ecosystem no longer works and you see weird things happening like we've seen over the last couple of weeks. So I understand why people no longer want to do it. I get that there is a bullseye on their back. But if you think that huh. somehow taking that out of play is a good thing, you're mistaken. So it sounds like it sounds like you're saying that basically short sellers have stepped aside because of the crazy dynamics in the market. And that is exacerbating the crazy dynamics in the market. I believe so. Now, maybe, listen, I might be wrong, but there are no there are no road. There are no um, speed bumps anymore. Right. There's nothing to uh, cull the herd, as it were, in terms of the wolves in Yellowstone. So it's a fascinating conversation, by the way, for you Nat Geo fans out there. I encourage you to go watch some of the work done on the wolves of Yellowstone. Um, Mike, um, I would imagine that your advice would be the same for the way up. Obviously, options define your risk. And so that would be the better way to do this. And, and, and let's give retail investors credit. A lot of them have used options for a lot of these meme stocks. Yeah, I, I think that's true, and I think that's smart. I think there is also a, a reflexive element going on here. I mean, it is... It's fair to say that whether people are buying the stock or whether they're buying options is going to have a similar pressure on the share price. Because when retail market participants go out and buy calls, they're buying them from market makers. What are the market makers doing? They have to buy the stock to hedge. So there's always going to be some of that impact. And you're going to see that, obviously, if a crowd of people start either going in and buying the stock or buying call options on the stock, it is probably going to propel the stock higher. But for the benefit of the retail investors that do that, who may not necessarily be able to hedge in other means, at least they're defining their risk. And that's the obviously the positive to it. You know, an interesting thing also, of course, is that when you have this hugely explosive movement going on, options premiums themselves can also get pretty out of whack as well. I mean, to put things in perspective, if you had bought the November 300 puts on Tuesday, 
at the close in Avis, even though the stock is substantially lower now at about, whatever, 297 where it closed versus the 345, I think it closed on Tuesday, those puts haven't gone up in value. And that's simply because the options markets were also reacting very violently to the violent moves in the share price, too. And some of that has come back in. But I definitely think that if people are inclined to speculate, using options and defining their risk and making sure that they size their trades appropriately is key. I'm not going to make a judgment on whether or not people should uh, use this as an input or whether these are good ways to trade, because obviously if you're making money doing it, something's doing something, you're doing something right. <laughs> on the topic of meme stocks, do not forget to check out my new digital documentary, How the AMC Apes Cracked Wall Street. You can check it out on uh, CNBC's YouTube channel at youtube.com slash CNBC. Up next, answering your questions on old and new tech. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Options Action. Time to take your tweets. Our first viewer asks, and this one's for Carter, is AT&T so bad it's good? It's oversold on, on its weekly relative strength index. So, Carter, what do, you, what do you tell Rob? I think, Rob, that's exactly right. I mean, after all, it peaked in 1999. You also know right now it's uh, 12% below its 150-day moving average, and you get a nice almost 6% dividend yield. I think it's so bad it's good. Our next viewer asks, what should be the play on emergent biosolutions going forward, especially after today's downfall of 40 percent? Mike. Yeah, this is just a brutal response to uh, earnings, which they announced yesterday. Now, one of the things that does happen after the share price fell, of course, and the news is out, options premiums are very expensive. But the stock did rebound a little bit today. Usually you want to wait, you know, three days if you're trying to play for a bounce. That will also take a little extrinsic premium out of the options, but buying call options is the only way I would play for a bounce in this one right now, given the move we've seen. All right, up next, the final call. Final call time, Carter. Gold and gold miners, actually, going to be a big week next week. That's my judgment. Mike. I use call diagonals in Disney going into earnings. Guy, thanks for joining us tonight. What's your final call? I, I so dig joining the OA. You know, usually I'm a viewer, I'm a participant tonight. Here's my call. Bond yields are too low. I think yields go higher next week. All right. That does it for us here on Options Action. See you back here next Friday at 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Mad Money with Jim Cramer starts right now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.